1: Welcome to Recycle by Eurosport, the podcast that retells the tales of some of the greatest riders and races from the Peloton's past. Brought to you by Zwift, where fun is fast. Recycle is written by Felix Lowe, narrated by me, Graham Wilgos, and produced by Pete Burton. In part two of this edition of Recycle, we pick up the story of Mario Cipollini's record-breaking run of victories at the Giro d'Italia. Alfredo Binder's record of 41 stages at the Giro stood for 70 years until Cipo went one better when he soared to successive victories in the 2003 edition. Always the showman, oozing machismo and with a penchant for the outrageous throughout his colourful career, Cipollini wrote his name into history wearing the world champion's rainbow jersey he had won seven months earlier in Zolder. It was the final meaningful act in Chippo's road career. By then, retirement wasn't far away for the 36-year-old. Breaking Binder's record had been the silver lining of an otherwise cloudy day for Chippo, who learned of Domino Vacanse’s unexpected exclusion from the tour just ahead of the stage. It was the third successive year that Chippo had been snubbed by the world's biggest bike race and the veteran pulled no punches in a savage rebuke of Jean-Marie Leblanc, the tour director. I feel like saying a lot of nasty things to Mr Leblanc and the tour, an irate Cipollini said before the stage in Arezzo. They are showing once again that they are not thinking about cycling like a sport. They need to evaluate this better. Cycling isn't just made of teams, it's made of individual athletes who are helped by their teams. I have to be careful what I say, because if I told you everything, it wouldn't be pretty. They might not let me back in France again. The outburst came after ASO announced the four wildcard places for the Tour would be taken by three French teams and the Spanish squad Uscatel, overlooking Cipollini's dozen Tour stage wins. It's as if the Grand Prix of Australia rejected Michael Schumacher in order to take a local driver, Chippo lamented. We didn't want not to select Cipollini, LeBlanc said in defence of the decision. In spite of his flamboyant spirits, we wondered if he was as motivated as last year. Is he nervous or tired, lacking condition? That came before the world champion broke Binder's record, and in doing so beat McEwen, the fastest sprinter at the previous year's tour. I'm so angry about not being invited that if the organisers change their minds, I'll only ride if my team order me to, Chippo concluded. If I could choose, I'd tell Le Blanc where to go. Two days later, on the pan-flat Stage 11 raced in abysmal wet conditions, Cipollini was taken out by another rider on one of the last corners, the man in the rainbow stripes sliding into the barriers as McEwen zipped clear to take a canny second win. The race headed for the mountains and the Zoncalan on stage 12, where Cipollini was supposed to have a mountain bike waiting for him at the foot of the climb, but quit the race before he got there. There was only one destination for the Giro's leading stage winner, the beach. In the absence of Domino Vacanze and Cipollini, Alessandro Pataki won four stages in the opening week of the 2003 tour. Domino were instead invited to the Vuelta on the grounds that Cipollini would feature. But when Cipo withdrew ahead of the event, the organizers UniPublic duly excluded his Italian team just days before the start. Cipollini eventually acquiesced, and the team was reinstated. But after an abject showing in the opening team time trial, during which Cipollini had to be pushed at times by his teammates, Super Mario withdrew. He was never again welcome on the Vuelta. The Italian veteran never made it to 43 wins in the Giro, retiring after stage 6 of the 2004 race without cracking the top 10. And when Damina Vecanza were finally invited to the tour that year, Cipo threw in the towel in the opening week after a string of poor performances. He never rode a major stage race again, retiring after Milan-San Remo the following year. A bizarre comeback three years later saw Chippo, in the Colours of Rock Racing, come third in the second stage of the Tour of California. Two more top tens was as good as it got, as the Lion King's final roar became more of a whimper. In his comprehensive sweep of Italian cycling, John Foote quotes the legendary Italian journalist Gianni Mura's opinion that Binder's 70-year record being surpassed by Cippo was a sad reflection on what the sport of cycling had become. But one Italian cycling specialist doesn't agree. I don't buy any of that at all, says Herbie Sykes, the Turin-based author of Magliorossa, Triumph and Tragedy at the Giro d'Italia. While Sykes feels that no meaningful comparison can be made between Binder and Cipollini, he disagrees with the notion that Cipollini's victories in bunch sprints were any less valuable than his predecessors. Binder might have been a truly great and complete cyclist who could win over all terrain. He could not only make it to the finish, but also topped the GC on five occasions. He was also a showman who played to the crowds. Cycling was fashionable in those days, and people paid to watch him win sprints, says Sykes. Most of Binder's wins would have been in bunch sprints because that's what the public wanted and that's how the organisers generated revenue. Fans paid to go into the velodrome to watch the sprint. There was no electronic media or any other means of disseminating otherwise. For Colin O'Brien, however, Cipollini's achievements in the Giro were a bit of a turn-off, to the extent that Super Mario is mentioned on only a couple of pages in his entire biography of the race. He's a strange character in the sense that he's part of Giro history, but not a very compelling part of the narrative, says O'Brien. My idea was to tell the story of this race, from its origins to its current day, through the lens of the most compelling characters in its history. With Cipollini, I very quickly realised that either he was going to have to get a chapter or two chapters all to himself to give that balanced opinion, or, the other way to look at it was, in the pantheon of Giro greats, the names that have really shaped the history of the event, he wasn't fit to shine their shoes. It was not simply the clinical use of the sprint train that turned people off. Cipollini's character, so big, bold and comedic on the surface, became something of a deal-breaker for fans. And that's before you consider the links to the infamous Operation Puerto scandal Like most of the standout riders of his generation, Chippo was very much associated with doping, even if he never tested positive during his career, nor served a sanction. But retrospective testing from the 1998 tour, where Cipollini won two stages, identified his samples as being positive for EPO. Chippo had long since retired and pleaded the Fifth Amendment. The storm duly passed, since which he has still regularly featured on state broadcaster Rai as a talking head. In 2010, he also successfully appealed a 10-month suspended prison sentence for tax evasion. Cipollini wouldn't be the first rider from the 90s for whom an asterisk next to their name has been no obstacle to picking up TV work, nor is he the only person to exploit legal loopholes to protect his private wealth. But there are some things in this day and age that cut the mustard of impropriety. Chippo was known as Squeeper for mean or lady killer, from his early playboy days, but he married Sabrina Landucci, the sister of Marco Landucci, the former Fiorentina goalkeeper, in 1993. They separated in 2005, just after he ended his cycling career, but Chippo faces ongoing charges that he stalked and violently assaulted his ex-wife and threatened her new partner. In 2000, he was kicked out of the Vuelta for punching a rival in the face, While, three years later, a month ahead of his record-breaking turn at the Giro, he was ejected from Ghent Wevelgem for throwing a water bottle at a race commissar on a motorbike. While being viewed from the outside as a patron of the peloton, Cipollini was quite unpopular with many of his teammates and contemporaries, who invariably felt like he acted like a bully. I can't think of anybody who had gushing praise for him, says O'Brien. They all say he was a brilliant professional, but as a person, they weren't as effusive. Then there's the litany of inappropriate comments that pepper his palmares more frequently than his wins punctuated the giro. Speaking about his rivalry with Jamaldine Abdu-Japarov in the early 90s, for instance, Chippo told Noel Troyers for his book, I won't go down on my knees to anyone, not to a woman, and certainly not to Abdu. That set the tone. In 2012, working as a pundit, he laid into Andy Schleck and Alberto Contador for congratulating each other at the top of the Tourmalet like, in his words, a pair of gays. When you used to look at Eno, you saw a good-looking bloke, Chippo elaborated. Injurane. He was handsome. Strong men. Mercs. Bloody hell. He was like an actor. Now, look at Schleck. Look at Contador. They're extraordinary athletes, but come on. They're small, skinny, light, like a pair of show ponies. It's hardly surprising that Cipollini lost a lot of respect in the sport given views that are both boorish and outdated at best, misogynistic and homophobic at worst. The things Mario Cipollini has said over the years are fairly, well, sometimes they're idiotic, sometimes they're plain hateful, says O'Brien. I think that now more than ever, We've all realised that there shouldn't be a place in our hearts for these people who are more interested in speaking about stupid things. I don't want to say he's bigoted, but he said some pretty unenlightened things about women through the years. He's been really offensive to people he doesn't like. O'Brien cites a recent spat with Davide Cassani, the manager of the Italian national team, which came to a head when Cipollini posted a video rant on social media in which he compared Cassani to a weed he wanted to eradicate. It looked like he was having a breakdown, says O'Brien. But at the same time, he's preening to the camera because the most important part of it is always Mario. While he admits to having never met Cipollini in person, O'Brien says, In cycling, the personality of champions is so integral to their story and their following. I just don't think that Cipollini's, At least, his public persona is very likeable. That was what turned O'Brien off from covering Cipollini's achievements in depth in his book. I said to myself, You know what? This is a book about a race. It's not a book about a person who wants to talk about sex and fast cars, who has drugs and tax problems, allegations of beating his wife. Purely in the context of the race, I said to myself, For a guy who has won 42 stages, I don't necessarily remember really enjoying Cipollini racing all that much. When it comes down to the racing and the results, what the Lion King achieved should be put into the context of his era and carefully weighed up alongside his character, according to O'Brien. With a rider like Cipollini, he's exciting for the last 30 seconds of a race, provided it's completely flat and he's got all his teammates around him, he says. With Cipollini, I always wonder if we think his talent was greater than it was purely because we expected it to match the size of his ego and his personality. I'm not necessarily convinced that his talent was a match for his ego. For O'Brien, there's no separating Cipo the cyclist from the he's doing now and the way he treated and continues to treat other people. But while O'Brien struggles to see Cipollini as anything beyond an internet meme and a caricature of himself, Sykes is able to put the rider's character traits aside and appreciate what he did on a bike. The Italian thoroughbred might have been a flat-track bully who finished only six of his 27 Grand Tours, and he might have benefited from a tactical mechanism that left little to chance, sprinting's equivalent to the suffocating Team Sky mountain train of old. But he was still a clinical performer who prepared and pulled off his signature trick on multiple occasions. As a sprinter and a professional athlete, I think Mario was sensational, says Sykes. Sensational. Because cycling's about a lot more than just winning cycle races. As a lightning rod, as a focal point for fans, he understood the whole thing. Cipollini was fantastic. Fantastic. He shouldn't have climbed off as much as he did, but he obviously didn't feel the need to get through the mountains to get to the Champs-Elysees or get back to Milan generally. But that doesn't alter the fact that he was really, really good, that he had a massive engine, that he was a massive trainer. I don't have any issues with him. And, of course, it's not as if the man whose record he beat was a complete angel. Alfredo Binder was an unapologetic fascist even after the war, a rider whose domination won him no friends, a star who was too good for his own good. Sykes still finds something fascinating in the battles enjoyed by Cipollini's generation of sprinters. He also gives Chippo the benefit of the doubt in many domains where O'Brien is less accommodating. To win 42 stages, you have to stay on the bike 42 times, says Sykes. You have to be really f- Good to win 42 stages of the Giro d'Italia. You've got to be really good to win one. And Cipo hated getting beaten. Winning Milan Sanremo, a race many thought beyond him, plus the world title, and then breaking the Giro stage record, all within 14 months and while in his mid 30s, made Cipollini undeniably one of the legends of the sport. I don't suppose it's that easy for anybody with that big an ego to cope with someone like Pataki coming along to usurp him, says Sykes. But the notion that Chippo was in some way rubbish or a charlatan or not worthy is absolute nonsense. He won 42 stages of the Giro while generating publicity for the people who paid him. He was a brilliant, brilliant cyclist. He wasn't a complete cyclist, but he did a lot for cycling. People wanted to see him on the bike, And he was a Pantani figure. He was the biggest by some distance. He understood cycling and show business. He got it. He got it perfectly well. He was anything but stupid. In fact, he's the polar opposite of stupid. Be that as it may, O'Brien does not favour the comparison with the late Marco Pantani, a rider whose legacy is still celebrated in Italy, despite his doping history. I can suspend my disbelief when I look at old footage of Pantani, says O'Brien. Or when I read about him, even when his name is mentioned in passing by a commentator on a particular climb, I can wistfully think back to the good old days. Whereas with Cipollini, I can't separate all that I know about the person from his achievements. Talk of Cipollini breaking Binder's record, says O'Brien, is a red herring. Besides, he adds... Had Binder focused solely on winning Giro stages and nothing else, his total would have been much higher. Cycling already struggles with this idea of the general classification versus the stages, climbers versus sprinters, one-day specialists, cobbled specialists, all of this. Then Cipollini is that on steroids, if you'd forgive the doping reference, because he's so specialised. He specialised within a speciality, says O'Brien. Whereas today we have riders like Peter Sagan, capable of winning over multiple terrains, and Wout van Aert, who can win bunch sprints and pace teammate Primoz Roglic in the mountains, Cipollini rarely managed to get over the climbs, even in the gruppetto. If I wanted to be controversial, I'd say that someone like Cipollini oversimplifies the sport to an almost offensive level, O'Brien concludes. To me, there's no beauty in that. There's no interest. It's just a guy who's fast enough in a straight line for 30 seconds in perfect conditions. I'm glad that's not the cycling we're living today. I think that he's an interesting footnote for cycling, but I'd almost say he's a kind of cautionary tale. Perhaps Italian sports writer Gianni Mura was right, O'Brien continues. Cipollini was a sad indictment of where turn-of-the-century cycling found itself. And I think that the difference we see now between the modern riders whether it's Mathieu van der Poel, Van Aert, Sagan, whoever, and Cipollini's era is a mark of how far cycling's come, and, hopefully, the better health that we find the sport in, in 2021. If O'Brien has now completed his belated chapter on the Italian sprinter by proxy, perhaps the final word should be left to the very man who once famously said, I was a leopard, and you don't ask a leopard to be a cow. You also don't ask a leopard to change his spots. And that's the issue that clings to Mario Cipollini and his legacy as tightly as one of his statement skin suits. After all, if you dress up like Caesar, then you have to expect the knives to come out at some point. This has been another episode of Recycle by Eurosport. Brought to you by Zwift, where fun is fast. Recycle is written by Felix Lowe and narrated by me, Graham Wilgos. Produced by Pete Burton. You can read more from Felix on Twitter at Saddleblaze and you can find me at Graham Wilgos. You can find Pete trying to swap his old bike for a match-worn shirt from the Brazilian Ronaldo. You can also follow Eurosport on Twitter at Eurosport underscore UK. Plus, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Subscribe, share and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And join us for our next episode and the dramatic 1956 edition of the Giro d'Italia, when Charlie Gaul staged the greatest comeback in the race's history.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.